You're listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Join us as we learn from successful firefighters and fire service leaders on how to achieve excellence. When lives depend on us, success is our only option. Thanks for tuning in for another great episode of the Firefighter Success Podcast, everyone. I am your host and the author of Firefighter Success, Jim Moss. Josh Chase is a lieutenant with Norfolk Fire Rescue in Virginia and a 15-year veteran of the fire service. He has a passion for leadership and strengthening firefighters to lead at the informal level. Josh is the author of Jump Seat Leadership, the guide to informal leadership in the fire service, and also Take the Lead, the guide to taking ownership of your life. He currently runs the Jump Seat Leadership Facebook page and teaches informal leadership in the fire service. Josh is also the recipient of the Fire Service Medal of Honor, which he received in 2019 after rescuing a child from a two-alarm apartment fire. Before he entered the fire service, his leadership abilities were developed and tested while he served as a sergeant in the United States Army. Josh was a crew chief and door gunner for the Black Hawk helicopters in Western Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom. Through his military service, fire service career, and life experience, it is his mission to strengthen, encourage, and empower others to embrace leadership as a core principle to succeed in any venue. Lieutenant Josh Chase, welcome to the Firefighter Success Podcast, and congratulations on the success of your new book, Jump Seat Leadership. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always weird to hear your bio read because I'm like, I'm just a normal guy. And then people read it, and make it sound all fancy. So that's Thank right. I did, making... my, I did my best announcer voice. Was it good? Yeah, no, it was good. Thanks for making me sound cool. I don't feel like I'm that cool, but I really. <laughs> all right. Well, let's jump in. So we're definitely going to be talking about jump seat leadership today. And, and really, I love the book and we'll definitely talk about it. But first, I want to hear about your definition of success. Now, success means different things to different people. What is your definition and what are your quote unquote essential qualities of successful firefighters? Oh man, I always feel like so anytime anybody brings up success, I feel like it's a loaded question because you like like you said, everybody really has their own definition. Um, so for me, I don't I don't think success is really a destination. Uh, for me, it's been more of a journey. Mm. And you know, for like I, I would say I've been successful at things, you know, in my life. Like I believe I had a successful military career. Um, you know, so stuff like that, I believe I have moments where I've reached maybe success, but that wasn't the goal. Um, success for me has been more of a journey. And, uh, I think one of the essential qualities for that journey for me that I've learned a lot the hard way is just humility. Mm. Um, that has been huge on my journey as far as, I mean, I can, I'm 38 now, which I still feel like I'm pretty young, but I can look back in my twenties, um, you know, even early on in my military career and the fire, my fire service career and just being extremely prideful and pride is good. And I think, you know, especially in the fire service is pride, customs and traditions. I think it's a really great thing. Um, I think it's something that we need to continue on, but pride can also be a bad thing and it can destroy, it can destroy a reputation uh, quicker than it builds it, especially if you're handling it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I said, success, I would say for me is more of a journey and I've been able to look more back on journeys and say, okay, I was successful as, at that instead of chasing success, because I think it changes. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you have a goal, you want to get there, but once you get there, there becomes here and then you're here and now you want to get there. So 
you know, I often ask myself my own questions like, well, will I ever be successful? When will I sit down on a front porch, you know, in 60 years from now and you drink a glass of bourbon in a rocking chair and think my life was a success. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think for me, more importantly, it really is about my life journey overall, how I build relationships with people in and outside the fire service, uh, in and outside of different communities. And one of the biggest qualities, you know, and maybe this isn't a quality, uh, like I said, humility is huge, but I think one of the biggest qualities, people would argue this isn't a quality, is building relationships. Mm. And um, that's something that probably wasn't taught in the fire academy. It's something that probably wasn't taught my first four or five years, six years, seven years, eight years, nine <laughs> years in the fire service. Right. Um, you know, it's just not a focus. You, you, you learn how to do the job and you learn a little bit of customer service when you're running calls, but building relationships over the course of my career, uh, probably over the past five to six years has really been my focus. And, and I think if you want a successful life journey, I think a little bit of humility and building relationships is, is extremely key uh, to doing that. But uh, yeah, it's more, it's more of a journey. Yeah, I would agree 100%. And I mean, if we really think about it, when we hang up our helmets at the end of our careers, whether you know we put 20, 25, 30, or even more than 30 years in, you know, we're not going to focus on or remember the accolades you know those are great they're, right. they're important but what we're going to really remember if we're while we're sitting on the front porch you know in our rocking chairs we're going to remember the relationships right we're going to remember yeah, absolutely yeah we're going to remember those things that uh you know us pouring into other people and then other people who have poured into us and that's really what's going to impact us and others the most so let's jump in to your book jump seat leadership let's do it let the listeners know a little bit more about your journey as an informal leader and why you decided to write this book. All right, cool. Yeah. So informal leadership. So I didn't know that it was called this, you know, years ago when I was in the military, um, you were just kind of told everybody was a leader and you know, that's, there's, I don't completely believe that everybody is a leader, but this is what they tell you. And I know I do believe that from a young age, I was called the lead. I don't know that I would have called it leadership when I was five years old, but I always wanted to, you know, I always wanted to be at the front, sit at the adult table. And I, and I had more influence, you know, I would say looking around the groups of people that I was in, even from a young age, but the military was huge for me when we're talking about informal leadership, because I didn't join the military as a Sergeant. I joined as a private. So when I got there, we were all soldiers, but you had to learn the job of the guy that was above you. Mm -hmm. So if you're learning the job of the guy that was above you, you know, we had a rank structure. So I looked around with rank structure and I started to realize that, you know, leadership was not just about position. It really was about influence, mm. you know, and in the military, you're kind of told what to do. And that's it. You just do it from your, your upper echelon. There's really not a lot of questioning. But I started to realize that, well, I didn't have uh, the rank, you know, to lead. And when you're in different situations in the military, whether it's, you know, uh, firefight, you know, flying behind a helicopter, or it could be something as simple as, you know, troops that are just getting in confrontations with each other. Sometimes rank is, it's great and it's title, but it doesn't matter so much as the people that are standing around the influence that they have. So the military is kind of where it started for me. I joined the fire service and um, it was 2005. I got deployed with the military, ended up around the fire service 2006. I think I hit the street operations 2007. And I was a sergeant in the U.S. military, and I talk about this in my book a little bit, but I was a rookie on the street. 
and brand new job, brand new enemy. You know, I'm not flying behind a gun in a helicopter anymore. Um, I'm not part of the best platoon that was in Bravo Company. Now I'm, you know, Josh Chase, brand new firefighter, rookie, riding on the back of engine two. And, but I still believe that I had leadership qualities. Now, was I in charge? Absolutely not. I had a captain, a great captain, you know, one of the great mentors still is for my, for my career. And, um, but I knew I had something to offer. Now, at that point, being new, I figured I should just learn the job. So I, I kind of came to work and uh, I didn't do it all well. Trust me. Like I said, I was a sergeant right back from my military deployment. And uh, I had a great captain who just kind of put me in my place from time to time. Sometimes they were kind words and sometimes they weren't kind words. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it really kind of started there with, and I wanted to be a, the go-to guy. Uh, and I don't know, you know, it's, People say, are leaders born? Are they made? I, I have different arguments on different days, but I really, I've always wanted to be the go-to guy. I've wanted to be the guy that the captain can look up to, or the officer can look up to, or the supervisor can look, look up to. I've wanted to be that guy, um, knowing that I wanted to sit in his position one day, but not overthrow him so much. Yeah. So I put myself in positions to be that guy. I was the go-to guy. You know, um, if there was something to be you know, done, I did it. Uh, I worked with other guys that were pretty motivated around me. We kind of led each other. I learned how to lead myself. And I mean, now that, now that took years. That took probably three or four years for me to establish myself uh, as an informal leader in the fire service. And it wasn't something where I said, yes, now I am an informal leader. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like a goal where I wrote it in my locker and I was like, these are the 10 steps to get me to being an informal leader. I just, I honestly, I wanted to help. And I figured the best way that I could do it was be, to be available to my officer and figure out what his vision was for our crew and what he wanted to get done. And I really just worked with him on it. And through that, I became the go-to guy. And as slowly as guys got transferred out of the station, I was it. You know, and, and when you hear somebody else say that, hey, man, you're the informal leader in the station, I think that's when you are probably dubbed the informal leader. Mm -hmm. I didn't dub myself informal leader. Hey, look at me. Uh, everybody needs to watch me. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I had influence and didn't always handle it right. I mean, you can influence bad or good. I mean, look at Hitler. Um, great influencer. I don't completely agree with his cause. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my informal leadership journey, it started really early. And then throughout my career, I'd get moved to different stations and you, you'd bump heads with other informal leaders here and there. Um, you know, it's not we're guys, you know, it's, we're in a male dominated profession. I just listened to your podcast with uh, Kayla Harper, which is awesome, by the way. Yeah. Um, she was awesome. Oh, she freaking killed it. I mean, yeah, but side sidebar. So yeah, we're in a male dominated profession and uh, there's a lot of pride, a lot of ego, you know, especially with titles and leadership and do as I say. And um, you know, so the, the journey of an informal leader, I would say has not always been easy. I've definitely been in situations where I've challenged officers where I probably shouldn't have. I've definitely picked battles I probably should not have picked. Um, I can say this to kind of get into the second part of what you just asked was, I'm passionate about informal leadership because I've seen people lead poorly. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe that anybody should suffer due to a lack of leadership and somebody should step up and lead. I don't care who it is. Somebody has to do it. Right Now, they, they can pay officers to do it, which is what they get paid to do. But that doesn't necessarily either mean they've been trained or feel called to do it. They're now just sitting in that seat. Um, nothing, nothing bad to say about these people. However, I don't think anybody's fire crew should, could, should suffer because of lack of leadership. 
And that's, that was me. I remember sitting around, you know, campfires, you know, talking to Jared Sergi and we were going to fix this place 15 years ago. <laughs> you know, we're going to, we're going to fix this place. You know, when we get here, when we get there and we started to realize, well, it's not about when we get, we just need to do what we know how to do and make it work. And I guess I'm passionate about informal leadership because I've seen bad leadership and I've seen what it, what it does. And I want people to get where they want to go. I believe in the mission and vision of the fire service. I believe, you know, I shared this in a video I did last week, like the fire service is here to make humanity better. And, and we're a part of that. We're a part of that service serving the citizens in the community. So it, leadership's important, especially informal leadership. When you're talking about, look at the, the numbers of firefighters that most departments have and the numbers of officers that they have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have, I, I work for a 500 plus member department and the officer ratio to firefighter ratio, you're talking about 90% firefighters to about 10% officers. Mm -hmm. so, so when you think about it, I can't expect 10% of the organization to know everything and do everything as it pertains to leadership. And then For leave sure. out the, uh, yeah, leave out the other 90. So I'm like, informal leadership is huge. Let's train the informal leaders, the other 90%. How successful will we be really as any organization if we're training our informal leaders? And then when they move into that 10%, well, they've been training the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess the main reason I'm passionate about informal leadership is because one, the lack of leadership that is actually in the position that has the authority isn't great all the time. And somebody has to step up and lead. Oh, for sure. So in the introduction of your book, one thing that you wrote is such a simple sentence, but it really stuck out to me. It, you said, leaders take people places. So let's unpack that a little bit more. Yeah. I want to know what your personal definition of what a leader really is. What's your definition? So I, if I had to go with the definition of leader, I would just call them an influencer. You know, it's mm -hmm. somebody that can somebody that can influence a group of people around them and take them somewhere. I mean, if you just break down the word leader, you know, when I think of a leader, I see a person standing out in front of a group of people and he's walking forwards and they're following him. He's taking mm -hmm. a group of, he's taking a group of people somewhere. That's why it's simple. That's why he's called a leader. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I felt like that was such a simple statement in my book. And I feel like it's, it's a hard concept for people to get sometimes, but leaders take people places. That's the definition of leading. Yep. You're taking somebody from point A to point B. And you're looking at this people, these people and saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you somewhere. And for, for the, as far as a firehouse goes, you know, I've only been in formal leadership for, you know, about a year, which feels like three weeks and uh, <laughs> man, sharp learning curve. It was uh, here you go. We don't have a lot of formal training in our department as far as uh, officer development or firefighter development. So it's kind of, you tackle it on your own. You take a test, you do the assessment. If, if you do well, you get promoted, they toss you a badge and they say, call me if you need me. So uh, it's been a sharp learning curve. And uh, one of the main things I've done, like I talked about earlier, was build relationships with my men and women. And then the next thing I've done is I've looked at my guys and said, where do you want to go? Where do you want to get in the department? Um, where do you want to get in your personal life? We could talk personal life. Like whatever you want to do, let me know. I'm here to get you where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, that's a personal thing for me. That's something the department uh, didn't tell me I had to say. Uh, it's not something that's in our policy. It's not written down anywhere that I have to take these guys somewhere. I just know that I'm in a I'm in a position of formal authority, but that doesn't make me a leader. You know, I felt like what made me a leader was to, my ability to influence people, and I recognize that, and I want to use it for something positive. So 
with my men, I'm trying to take them somewhere with the women that work for me. I'm trying to take them somewhere. I just had a conversation with a guy last night and I'm, I'm just asking him, okay, well, you got 19 years on the job. What's next? Where do you want to go? And uh, if you just want to stay where you're at and be a good firefighter and be a good medic, I'm cool with that. Let's just keep improving where you're at. But I want to get people places. I want to take them somewhere. And I can't always take people. And this is, this is, you know, this sucks sometimes as a leader. I can't always take people where I want to go. Mm-hmm. It has to be about where they want to go. Right. You know, within the mission and vision of the department, if we're talking about department stuff, I can help you get somewhere, but it's got to be within the vision and mission of the department. Oh, um, 100%. Yeah. So, you know, even personal life, like I'll help you get wherever you want to go, but you can't, you know, people have to meet you halfway. But the biggest thing um, with leadership is, yeah, definitely uh, the ability to influence other people and whatever that may be. I've done it, you know, I've done it negative. I've done it positive ways. I've heard people um, spin it to where leadership and manipulation are pretty close together. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, if you really break that down, that's a whole nother, they could do a whole podcast on that. Oh, um, without a doubt. Yeah. Just taking people places. I think if you, if you call yourself a leader and, uh, nobody's following you, then I, I wouldn't say you're a leader because you're not taking anybody anywhere. So, uh, huh. so being a company officer myself, you know, one of the key roles of the informal firehouse leaders should be the support role that you just briefly talked about before, you know, the support role for their company officer. And, and while I was reading this in your book, you wrote about it, I, you could see me visibly shaking my head up and down in acknowledgement. I was like, yes, <laughs> amen. You know, as a company officer, I want an informal firehouse leader that supports, you know, my mission, vision, goals of our crew, of our fire department. So in your opinion, how can jump seat leaders support their company officers? Oh, man, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Um, the main thing is humility. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you realize that you are a leader, and I'll go back to relationships as well. If you realize that you're that guy that's in the station, I think it's one, uh, being a little bit humble and building a relationship with your officer. I think that's the most important thing. And, and not not wanting to overthrow him because you see him suffering. He's in, whether you like it or not, somebody's put him in charge of the crew mm-hmm. and we, we don't get paid to like it. Most fire departments have a chain of command. I have a position, they pay me for it. Uh, I have subordinates, you know, whether, whether I like to call them subordinates, coworkers, buds, friends, bros, sisters, um, it, there is a rank structure. Mm-hmm. So I think really kind of putting some, putting your pride aside and really sitting down with your officer and, if you're that informal leader, I, I approach it as if you were sitting in that guy's seat in the officer's seat, like, wouldn't you want yourself to succeed? And if you needed help, wouldn't you want somebody to be open to helping you? And that's, that was the main reason I think um, I even wrote the book was because I served 15 years at the informal level where I didn't have a title. You know, I didn't know if I was going to get promoted one day. I decided to take it serious and I got promoted. But one of the main things I've realized since I got promoted is I need a me in the station. I need a guy that was not willing to have a title, but was going to lead anyway. Man, I need that so bad as an officer. It's not even funny. Right. You know, I, at sharp learning curve is a lot that I looked at a lot of guys and I was like, I could do their job. This is a joke. <laughs> like I, I could definitely, I could be an officer. No question. I could do their job better than them because I was an acting officer. So I got it. No problem. And I sat in the chair, they gave me the badge and I'm like, there's a lot more to this job than I thought there was, you know? And if you talk about the, if you actually care about your job as a fire officer, 
there is a little bit of weight when it comes to leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of weight when you have men and women under you and it is your responsibility for them to go home safe in the morning. Um, and, and that's assumed that everybody does care about that. And that's not true mm-hmm. because everybody doesn't care about that. So the biggest thing for the support roles is I can tell you this, I need help. And it's not something I always like to admit, but I need help. I need help in the firehouse. I need somebody with their pulse on the firehouse. That's, you know, going to be around talking to the guys and figuring out what's going on. And that's willing to work with me. Uh, I don't know how many times I'm lucky Uh, in my house right now. I have a couple of guys who have, you know, 15 years or more and we've built relationships and they they'll come to the office and talk about things. So, and I'm like, well, why didn't this person tell me that? Well, because I'm wearing the lieutenant shirt. <laughs> that's right. You know, or why didn't the person go to the captain? And and I still feel very much like an informal leader because I work with the captain and I call myself the first line of defense for the guys. I'm like, hey, <laughs> there's no such thing as a stupid question. But if you have a stupid question, you need to come to me first and then I'll filter it. Then I might say it different. But uh, no, as far as support and you just got to I, I think you need to realize, get rid of the pride, you know, have a little bit of humility, sit down with your officer, have a conversation. Uh, not every officer is going to be open to it. There may be guys that are just complete jerks that want nothing to do with you. In that case, I would say pick your battles. But it is so important as an informal leader to support your officer, especially, I think, if you want to move up, you're going to want somebody to help you. And I've realized this past year, I can't run all the training. I can't run all the calls. I can't have all the opinions. I can't organize every single workout and then get everything else done that administration's asking me to get done. It's completely impossible. So to have guys on the floor, I mean, I have a guy right now who just does the workout every day, he programs the workout every day for two o'clock. And now that may, that may seem small, but for me, I don't have to do, it's one thing less I have to do. Now I'll say this, it's not one thing less I have to do. And then I go sit in a chair and don't do anything. He's taking something off my plate because I want to focus on something else. And usually that something else is, is the crew as an entirety. I mean, like you said, you know, you're shaking your head, you're a company officer, you know, shaking your head up and down. Like, yes, I need support from my men. It's a real thing. Oh yeah. I, I want a go-to guy or gal in my firehouse that, you know, is the un- informal leader that, you know, isn't necessarily a yes, sir kind of person, but they're there to support, you know, the crew mission and vision, right. Of working together. And, you know, if I go home, you know, they can fill in for me without a problem. Right. You know, if I have emergency or whatever it is, sick leave, you know, hopefully they don't miss a beat with that, that go-to guy or gal uh, that are, they are the informal leader and they know exactly what needs to be done for the crew. So, in chapter four, Maturity Counts, I really enjoyed this chapter, by the way, uh, you speak about the importance of maturity as an essential quality of informal leadership. So in this chapter, you touch on humility, which we spoke about before, but also blending knowledge and experience with that humility and specifically how they they all relate to maturity. So why is maturity so important for jump seat leaders to have? Oh, man. Um, why is it? important for humans to have in general. I mean, we could just start there really, but that's right. Yeah. Um, man, it's huge. I think one of the big things, like I said, I jumped out of a military career right into the fire department and, you know, at that point, you know, um, as far as knowledge and experience and humility, it's, it's hard to be humble returning from war 
and um, doing some pretty cool stuff. You know, I was attached to a, a, a Marine Force recon company, my army unit was, and we did some really cool things, some raid missions, stuff we can talk about, stuff we can't talk about. So humility was really tough um, coming back from war and jumping in the fire department and then acting like I knew nothing because with the fire service, I did know nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. so I didn't always handle that well, as far as maturity, I think it's funny. I even wrote a chapter on maturity because I feel like a 12 year old kid sometimes. (laughs) Preaching Um, to yourself. (laughs) Yeah, man. If you ask my wife, she'd be like, you you wrote a chapter on maturity. Okay. Um, that's nice. Uh, (laughs) No, not like, yeah, like not all the responses I give her are very mature. You know, I still feel like, you know, little kid in the back of the classroom throwing paper sometimes, but, uh, yeah. So why is it so important? Well, there's a lot of guys I would say in the fire service, you can, so you can join this profession when you're 18 or you can join it when you're 50. Mm-hmm. And there, there is a very different age gap. It's a big age gap as far as the fire service goes. So when you're 18, you know, you're just out of high school, you join the fire service. You could be an officer at 24 in my department. You only need six years. So you could be an officer at 24 years old and that's, that's it. And to me, I'm like, man, 24 years old, what have you experienced in life? How mature, how mature can you be? Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe everybody has their different level of maturity, depending on life experience and things that they've been through. But I think it's important because maturity will keep you humble. And for me, I would say, man, I was eligible to take the test at four years in the the department when I came in. They changed it to six, but I was eligible at four years to take a lieutenant's exam. And I think back how scary that would have been if I would have actually done well and got promoted to lieutenant at four years. Mm -hmm. I was nowhere near ready or mature enough to sit in that front seat and make the decisions that the department needed to me to make. And that's just a fact. Uh, That's a fact. And I know that for myself. Um, it wasn't about, it's not about money or position or title. It's about, had, do you have enough experience in the fire service? Do you have enough experience in life to understand the weight of leadership and the weight of the decisions you're going to make? And I think that does look different for everybody. I can't say, well, at 10 years, you're going to be mature enough to do this. At 15 years, you're going to be mature enough to do this. So I do think it's an individual thing, but I don't think it's something that um, we should all overlook per se. And I do think knowledge and experience is a huge part of that. Um, I, I call them the book firemen. There's a lot of guys out there that read a lot of books and they know a lot of stuff, but when you put them on a hose line, they're terrible. And mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't say that like, uh, they can't get better. There's that's their, that's their knowledge, but I think there's knowledge and then there's actual hands-on experience. And when you can marry the two, and then character and all kinds. I mean, there's so many things that play into maturity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, knowledge, experience, maturity, I think they all go together. When you can blend knowledge and experience, um, and I think you understand the balance of the two, I think is when I would say you're a little bit more mature. And I think the reason I named the chapter Maturity Counts is because it 110% counts. You know, I don't have a timetable for when you will be mature in the fire service. I don't have a timetable for when I'm going to be mature in the fire service. I'm still waiting. <laughs> I mean, I work, I work for a 40 year captain. So I, I don't feel very mature some days as far as knowledge and experience. Right. You know, I, I sit next to a guy who came in the fire department when I was born. So, you know, we give each other a hard time every day and, 
you know, the other day, the guys, they handed him an iPad and they were like, I know it's not a sheet of paper, but you're going to have to make do. It's not you know? a, ta- so, it's not a tablet, right? You know, yeah, uh, right. an old stone tablet, but here you go. Right. They're, they're giving him a hard time, but I'm like the wealth of knowledge this guy has. You talk about maturity and knowledge and experience. You know, I'm glad I didn't consult with him before I wrote this chapter because it probably wouldn't be in the book. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super important. I think it definitely counts. I think it's different for everybody. It's important for leaders to have. And I think, you know, you have to you have to somewhat find a way to develop your character outside and inside of work. Um, oh, 100 percent. And you were t- you were speaking to the firefighters who may never mature. I love that old joke that, you know, the boy says to his mom, when I grow up, I want to be a firefighter. And the mom says, that's great, but you can't do both. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know that's, that's great. One of, that's one of the, my favorite jokes I've heard about firefighters, but we'll move on. We'll move on. So in chapter six, entitled The Mirror, you speak to the importance of every firefighter leading themselves before they can lead anyone else. So I am with you 100% on this one, but tell everyone why you believe this is so critical for leadership success. Oh man. So this is a hard one for me. And I think for a lot of people, because I'm really good at excuses. I'm really good at excuses. Uh, I think I'm really good at complaining and I really want to blame stuff on everybody else. I don't really want to be accountable every single day. I mean, I preach accountability and I believe accountability and I believe that I should be, um, you know, always heading towards wanting to be held accountable. But if I'm truthful, I don't think anybody wants to be held accountable hundred percent of the time. Uh, if we did, we'd be perfect. So I think it's easy to listen to this podcast or read jump seat leadership or read firefighter success or read whatever leadership book you can throw whatever title you want in there. And then, take the knowledge and start preaching to other people. And I would say before you start doing that, you need to take a good look at yourself and self-evaluate where you are at right now. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason it's so critical to success is because a lot of people are not doing this. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, looking at everybody else and complaining about the world and this is why. And if I were in that position and it's not my job. So the mirror, it's, I think it's the hardest place for people to look. You know, I've been in, I've literally been in personal situations in my life where I did not want to look at myself in the mirror because I didn't like where I was in life. Mm -hmm. So there is something to be said for looking in the mirror. You know, it's, uh, it it, it is a big deal. And I think it's important. How can you lead other people if you don't know where you're going personally? For sure. And, and this does transcend outside the fire service. You know, if you are completely lost in your personal life, I don't know that you can be a successful leader at work. Eventually something will be uncovered and you will crumble. It's just a matter of time. So you can't, you can't hide in the fire service, whether you want to or not, but crucial that people are, are, uh, you're looking in the mirror and just, you know, it's worth it. And I think peer, uh, peer evaluation is important. Mm -hmm. I don't think, um, you know, firemen are pretty honest. I'll just say that. So I think if I sat down and I've done this before, like, Hey, so where do you think I'm at? How do you think I can lead better? So this may surprise some people. So I'm a Lieutenant. I'm in formal leadership now. Wow. Big deal. And I still sit down with a guy or two and I'm like, Hey, so how am I doing? And they're kind of looking at me crazy. Like, what do you mean how you're doing? You're in charge. (laughs) You're doing it, man. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, uh, I am doing it, but how well am I doing it? Right. 
you know, I'm not looking for all the inside gossip. I'm like, what are the guys saying? Is there anything you guys need? Anything I could do better? I genuinely want to improve. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think that goes back to, I built relationships with these guys, but I'm asking, you know, for, for input, you know, and some of these guys, they may not be per se lieutenants, but when I'm thinking about peers, they are my age or, you know, they're 10 years older than I am. So when we're talking about my last chapter about maturity, they have more life experience than I do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm going to guys that are 50, 55 years old that may not be a lieutenant, but I'm like, hey, how am I doing? Because I, I respect their level of maturity and their knowledge and experience. And, you know, they're informal leaders on the floor. But I, I respect that. And I respect these people. And it helps me look in the mirror and it helps me get better. I would say if you're not willing to get better, you don't have to look in the mirror because mm-hmm. then you don't have to see what's really going on. But uh, until you can identify what's actually going on, you can't actually move forward. And that's something I tell my kids all the time when we're talking and I kind of feel like they might be telling a little lie. And I'm like, come back to me when I get the full truth, because I can't, I just can't work with a lie. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do anything with a lie. I, I have to have the truth so we can work with it. Lies have to get us to the truth so we can actually start somewhere. Oh yeah. So I, I would say looking in the mirror. Yeah. If you're not willing to look in the mirror, you're not willing to get better. And then it comes back to what you said first, humility, right? And it, having yeah. the humility to seek others' accountability, seek others being truthful with how we can improve, um, you know, which is absolutely essential to our personal growth, to our to our improvement as well. So one of my favorite chapters was called Solutions, Not Problems. So yes. we all know that complaining and negativity are rampant in the fire service. And, and sometimes, you know, we're actually part of the problem. But explain how leaders, both formal and informal, take action to solve problems and not just complain about them. Yeah. So um, I'll start by saying this. I can complain with the best of them. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm, re- I'm, I'm really good at it. Uh, I'm really good at it. I'm really good at point counterpoint. Um, I can I can sway a room for a bad decision in a heartbeat, mm. which is not a great quality, um, you know. But I can complain with the best of them. And so this title actually came from me and a buddy working at Station Ten, and we were joking about talking to our wives and saying uh, this is not a good way to handle a marriage argument. So that's where this whole title <laughs> came from. Was was like our wives arguing with us about something or like solutions, not problems, babe. And uh, how that would not go over well. Exactly. And uh, it, it, it won't go over well. And I haven't tried it. So I wouldn't suggest you try it or any listeners try it either. <laughs> but so anyway, solutions, not problems. This is something I have to, I live by this. Uh, I really do. I really live by this. Like I said, I complain about things and immediately I'm like, am I willing? There's a little voice that's like, are you willing to fix that? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to bring something to the table? Are you really willing to, to talk to somebody about it? I think if you're not willing to do it, then I, I really don't want to hear you. You know, you've got to stop just complaining and actually bring a solution to the problem. But yes, you may not be able to solve 100% of the problem, but I do believe that everybody is gifted and talented in some sort of way and can bring something to the table. Now, you bring your something to the table, you meet up with somebody else to bring something to the table. And before you know it, you guys actually have a half solution, which is better than no, no solution at all. Um, so it is important to take action and not complain about the problems. That's why I wrote the book, Jump Seat Leadership. Yeah. You know, that's why I'm on Facebook about Jump Seat Leadership. That's why, you know, I was the guy that sat around the campfires and was like, hey, we can make this place better. Why doesn't anybody care? If I were in these positions, you know, I've, I've probably said, 
every single complaint that I've wrote about in the book. I've said that it's not my job. You know, this office is terrible. The administration, this. I mean, I, I've complained so many times to the point where I, I got, and like I said, I looked in the mirror and I was like, am I willing to do or change anything? Mm-hmm. And if, I, if I'm not, then I don't really have a right to really complain. If, if I'm just complaining and I have no, nobody's going to take me seriously. I'll just be the disgruntled guy who's continuing to complain. Oh, that's just Josh. He's complained his whole career. He's never done anything to solve it. Yeah. So, you know, I realized, like you said, formal and informal. Here I am, formal leadership. I don't particularly agree with the fact that we have no officer development leadership. We don't have any firefighter development leadership in our department. It's kind of left. We have a program that we developed about 10 years ago. Um, Great program, great start. Uh, I think we're going to start to build on that and make it better. But I, I completely, I, I was I was really in an uproar about what should we do as far as development goes. And I just started to complain about it. Well, it got to the point where I decided I took my own advice. And I said, well, I'm going to just email the chief through the chain of command. And I'm going to start the first Norfolk Fire Rescue Leadership Work Group. Well, guess what? It's happening. So you just have to ask. I think sometimes... We just, we're just scared to ask, well, what if our solution to the problem isn't a good one? What if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Well, I got a yes. You know, it, it was no before that. And now I got a yes. So I was complaining about all these leadership problems and all these holes. And I decided to take action. And I said, let's just get a work group together and let's move forward and come up with some ideas and do some things and take some action. Now I got a yes. And I'm like, oh man, I actually got to do something. I got to, I got to put my uh, money where my mouth is. Yeah. So once I got the yes from, you know, from Big Chief, I'm like, uh, okay, cool. This is nice. Um, I'm glad I had a couple of things put together because I don't know that I was expecting a yes, but he called my bluff. Good. And I think, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I think, uh, I think, and I'm ready you know, to tackle the situation, but I think that's one thing. Like if you're willing to complain and you come up and somebody says, well, what do you want to do about it? Chief called my bluff and I'm ready. So be ready when somebody calls your bluff about the problem. For sure. And I think when it all comes down to it, you know, positive change really starts with who? Ourselves, right? It starts with you, you know, it starts with the individual, you know, stop blaming the system, stop blaming your administration, stop blaming your company officer, you know, or whatever, you know, your citizens or whatever it is. If you see a problem, you know, have the courage like you did, like you just mentioned with the, the story you just told, have the courage to jump on it and make the change and make a positive impact at your level. You, like you said, we may not have all the solutions to the problems that confront us, but at least we can get started. Uh, and hopefully it will be a snowball effect uh, and you know, we'll build momentum together and hopefully more people will jump on board. So at the end of your book, you speak about the cliche we've probably all all heard before: quitting is. Oh, not, I hate it. <laughs> quitting is not an option, right? Uh, but yeah. you actually turn this idea on its head a little bit by arguing that quitting is an option. So I, I'm not going to steal your thunder here. So explain what you mean by telling your readers that quitting is an option. Yeah. So uh, you know, military background. I come from the army, and you know, it's preached over and over and over. Quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. Quitting is not an option. And the entire time they're yelling this at me, you know, years later, I thought, well, they're only yelling that because I'm being challenged to quit right now. And if if I'm being challenged to quit, then quitting is an option. So it's an option. And I think if you don't acknowledge that it's an option then you're in some deep water. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
this might surprise some people, but probably back in 2016, uh, I was looking at leaving the fire service. I was going to quit. I was going to walk away. I was going to hang it up. Uh, I had a really rough year in 2015. Uh, my first wife unexpectedly passed away at 32 years old, mm. uh, was not sick, no medical problems, nothing wrong. She went to work one day. I got a phone call. She had a random seizure, cardiac arrest, passed away that day, and my life changed forever. I was left with wow. three kids to raise as a single dad. Uh, I was a firefighter, and I had no idea what I was going to do from there. So um, she was my high school sweetheart. We'd been together for 15 years. And you want to talk about um, dealing with an option to quit. That was a season of wanting to just hang everything up. When you think you're going to do your life with somebody for, you know, for lack of better words, eternity and raise kids and, you know, see grandkids and, you know, sit on a front porch together. And then it's kind of just taken away in a heartbeat. So when people tell me quitting is not an option, I'm like, yeah, well, I've really been challenged in my life to want to quit. And um, that season, it was tough, you know, to say the least. You know, I took about four months off from work uh, after my, my first wife passed away. And uh, I tell you what, the fire department community, I'll say this, was freaking awesome. Mm. This is one of those communities where we talk about relationships. I had a group of guys that I worked with at Station 2. You talk about a group of guys that showed up in a big way. And even people that didn't really know me in the fire service, just, but just knew of me and knew my family. Uh, man, I can't, I can't say enough about community. And, and, you know, people are like, oh, the brotherhood's gone. The brotherhood's dead. You know, I don't know about brotherhood anymore. Well, I mean, I've experienced it, you know, in my worst time in my life uh, where brotherhood really came through. And um, so, yeah, wanting to quit. You know, I, I took about four months off. I went into the fire academy and I was a recruit, um, recruit trainer that year. So I was an instructor, probably one of the hardest years of my life. Recruit training was kind of a distraction. That was easy. These guys knew nothing about the fire service and I was supposed to take them from zero to hero. Right. So they were, you know, complete shock. I could say whatever I wanted and they were like, they just didn't know anything. So it was great. Uh, <laughs> you know, once I got back to the street about a year later, and life got hard. I'm raising three kids. I'm on a 24 hour shift, 10 days a month. My mom's helping out. You know, I don't know what I was going to do. You know, um, like I said, my wife had passed away, you know, due to a random seizure. I'm riding an ambulance at work because we, we rode half our shift back then. And I'm going to people that are on seizure calls that we're giving medicine and then they make it. Mm. And then they wake up and walk out of the hospital where a year ago, my wife had a random seizure that she never had before. And so I was dealing with stuff where I was like, I think I'm just going to hang this whole thing up. Uh, I think I'm just going to walk away. I don't really want to do it anymore. And it was a lot of personal stuff, but you know, I kind of lost my passion for the job in that season. I was losing my passion for life, not just the fire service. Mm -hmm. um, so, so quitting is an option. You know, I, I was challenged, you know, to just quit, you know, hang it all up and, and not do it anymore, you know, and uh, I started to realize that. And one of the main things I think, you know, I talk about quitting is not an option. It's an option. And once you acknowledge that option, I think you need to come up with some reasons that are healthy and reasons why you're not quitting. Mm -hmm. You know, for me in that season, it was my kids. Yeah. You know, they didn't, I lost a wife, they lost a mom. And for me, it was really just being there for my kids and my choice to not quit because quitting is an option. 
uh, I made that choice to not quit because I needed to be there for my kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to see them. I wanted to see them see me recover in a healthy way. Yeah. Uh, I want to, you know, I wanted to see them, you know, see a dad who, yeah, he lost his high school sweetheart, but still, you know, he raised us the best way that he knew how. And, um, you know, so I decided not to quit, you know, and I'll, I'll fast forward, you know, this, the decision not to quit. I'll fast forward to 2019. You mentioned, you know, the, getting the medal of honor, which was cool. That's great. Not why I joined this job to get medals, you know, accolades are nice. They're great for the family to see. Um, but I think about if I had quit and I was in that burning building with that kid and I pulled him out of there and he came to visit the station weeks later. Well, what if I had quit and I wasn't positioned to do that? Mm. So I was positioned to do that because I made a decision to stick with it. And I know people would say, oh, somebody else would have got him. Somebody else would have got there. But it just like, honestly, just like kind of Kayla Harper touched on, not everybody in the fire service does the job that they're qualified to do. Mm-hmm. And they're not all qualified to do it. So there may have been somebody else there. But those are things that I've milled around in my head where quitting is an option. And when you're in any kind of adversity, you know, it's, it's an option. The whole quitting is not an option thing. It's complete garbage. And you have to acknowledge the fact that, look, I want to quit. I think it's worth it for you to write down your reasons why you want to quit and then work through those reasons and figure out which ones you can eliminate and push past them. Yeah. And I think that's where character's built, right? I think that's where maturity's built. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's where you gain knowledge from that. You gain experience from that. I mean, you know, making it through something like like what I went through, you know, I'm I don't think that I'm untouchable by any means, but you know, it's toughened me up a little bit in a good way where I'm like, okay, I've made it through this. What else can I tackle? Right. So now I look at situations through the lens of when I was 32, I unexpectedly lost my wife. I was a fireman. I was raising three kids. Um, you know, didn't know if I was going to do this career anymore. So I look at all that stuff and what I've been through. And now I'm on the other side of that. You know, I've been remarried for four years. Uh, I've, I found another woman that loves me, which is which is crazy to me that there were two of them <laughs> out there. Um, you know, she's great. You know, she's she's a great fit for the family and the kids. You know, this book got written. It's a positive. There's so many positive things on the other side of choosing not to quit. Yeah. So quitting is not an option. It's it's complete garbage. Acknowledge the option. Write down why you want to quit and let's work through those individually. And if, if you're listening and you're like, hey, I have no idea how to do this, you know, we, we can talk about how to reach me at the end of the podcast. For sure. And what an amazing story. And, and what stood out to me through all that adversity, all that struggle and that hardship that you went through was the example that you led for your children, right? And think about that long-term effect that you're going to have. Right. You know, you you weren't saying that, you know, you were you were perfect and and that you did everything right and that um, you weren't hurting, but you were real about it. Yeah. I'm sure that your example for them and just struggling through that uh, coming out and being triumphant and successful and gaining that perspective, that's something that's not only going to impact you for the rest of your life, like you said, but also them as well. They'll they'll remember that forever. So what an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Last question for you. Um, So 
I'm all about taking action, right? Being practical and putting, like you said earlier, putting our, our money where our mouth is and, and making sure we, we put up, right? So I want to know what are three to five real tangible ways that firefighters can lead their crew at the jump seat level? You know, how can a firefighter without rank or position realistically, like we said before, inspire? How can they realistically influence or motivate their fellow crew members? Oh, man. Um, yeah. Okay. I think the first thing you need to do is take a look in the mirror. I think mm -hmm. that, is, that is the first thing you got to do is just take a real assessment of where you're at. So take a real assessment where you're at in your life, where you're at in the fire service. And I think the next thing you can do is you got to figure out where you want to get to. So you have to establish some kind of vision for yourself, not just, not just the fire service. You have to establish a vision for yourself, what that looks like inside the fire service. And vision is what you see, right? It's, it's a goal. It's where you want to get to. Mm -hmm. So first of all, I would say you take a look in the mirror. Uh, you see where you're at. You do a little bit of self-evaluation. Um, maybe it might take somebody else to help you do that. We touched on that a little bit, but then I think it's establishing vision for yourself. Once you establish vision for yourself, you know, vision is what you see. I think the mission is next. The mission is really, how are you going to get there? How are you going to accomplish that vision? So I think the next thing is, is mission, you mm -hmm. know, self-evaluate, establish a vision. Then you come up with a mission. This is how I'm going to get there. And I will say this attainable goals. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to, you need to do some goals that are measurable things that you can, you can actually reach. You know, if you're a two-year firefighter, you know, and your goal is to be fire chief, I think you need to break it down. You know, so there's nothing wrong with your overarching vision being to be the fire chief someday, mm -hmm. but along the mission and accomplishing that, you need to come up with some real goals. And I think, man, if I had to add, I would say you have to define uh, what you want, uh, how, how can you get what you want, and what can you do right now? Those are the three biggest things. What do you want? How can you get it? And what can you do right now? Because I think there's something we can all do right now that's tangible in our own lives. And I think, honestly, the biggest thing, how can you realistically inspire and influence people around you? It's really through just being whoever you were called to be, just be yourself. And I know that sounds like super 1980s, 1990s cliche commercial, but you really have got to be yourself. And I think it's when we actually step into who we are as firemen at work and who we are as firefighters at work or officers or lieutenants or captains, and we really take it seriously and build relationships and show those guys that we are there for the right reasons. We're there to make sure they go home to their families every day. I think that's really what inspires and influences other people and motivates them. And one of the biggest things to that is just being authentic. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be authentic. If people are looking at you and they can sniff out BS uh, and, and firemen are great at sniffing out BS. Mm -hmm. I mean, Guys have come into my office and I'm like, oh, this is a BS sniffing session, <laughs> you know, and I, and I, and I've, I've kind of figured it out. And I'm like, so in those sessions, for me, it's time to be honest and, and it's, it's time to be honest and authentic. And you can do that without formal leadership. That goes back to what we talked about a little earlier. Just building relationships is freaking huge. Mm -hmm. So if you want to realistically inspire, influence and motivate, I think you have to build relationships you have to be authentic. You have to actually get to learn about other people. I can't inspire, influence, and motivate you if I know nothing about you. Mm -hmm. um, you're not me. So I have to find a way to relate to you. And we, we were, I'm at the firehouse a third of my life. So my crew members, coworkers, they have two thirds of their life outside the fire service. And I have to be willing just as, you know, as their boss now, supervisor, coworker, whatever you want to call it, 
I have to be willing to be somewhat interested in the other two thirds of their life to understand what it takes to realistically inspire, influence, and motivate them. If I don't understand anything about the other two two thirds of their life and I'm only talking about work all the time, then I'm missing out on two thirds of that person. Mm -hmm. And I think that is super important when you're talking about influence. I cannot influence and motivate you if I cannot relate to you. And I think that's why there's so many different speakers out there and so many different books out there, which is a great thing because people influence and motivate different people depending on how they relate to them. So back to the biggest thing I think we talked about, and I would not have said this 15 years ago, that relationships in the fire service and building positive relationships are huge. Now I'll say this, like I'm pretty direct. I can be pretty blunt. You know, uh, I would say there's two types of people that talk to me, people that know me and people that want the truth. And like some people don't want the truth, so they won't come to me and that's fine. Right. Um, but I think really finding a way to build relationships. And I, and I say all the time, you know, I got a guy that I talk to and I'm wearing a lieutenant badge. I'm wearing a lieutenant t-shirt, but at the heart of who I am, there is a firefighter in here that's just riding the back of the truck that just loves the job. And the lieutenant t-shirt has saved me from saying things that I probably shouldn't say. I'm like, I can't say that right mm -hmm. now because technically I'm a boss. So I just need to be quiet mm -hmm. and learn to build relationships with my crew. And it's, it's really teaching me, not just in the fire service, but it's teaching me overall uh, how to handle people, believe it or not. But you want to inspire people, you got to get to know people, whether you like it or not. Oh, 100%. That's such a great answer and so many great applicable things that you gave us right there. And Lieutenant Josh Chase, you know, thank you so much for sharing your passion for informal leadership today. It was a lot of fun. And uh, let the listeners know how they can get your books and how they can connect with you. Yeah, so you can, uh, I have a landing page. It's joshchase.org. I pretty much have everything on there. Uh, you can go to jumpseatleadership.org. That's pretty much all fire service stuff. And obviously you can follow me on Facebook at jumpseatleadership. And uh, my book's available on Amazon. So you can get it on Amazon. If you want it signed, you can 110% get a hold of me. Uh, I'm pretty active when it comes to uh, getting back to my messages. So I'll sign the book. I'll get it to you. And like I said, if you've read it and you loved it, do me a favor and leave a review. If, uh, if, you, if you haven't, then you need to get it. And I'm telling you, um, I'm not just telling you, you need you to get it because I think it's an amazing book. I'm telling you to get it because other people are messaging me and the amount of messages that I'm getting back are encouraging and humbling that my career is actually you know, making an impact in other people's lives. But that's how you can get a hold of me. You are definitely doing that, brother. And uh, I appreciate all that you're doing for the fire service. And to all those out there listening, stay fit, stay safe. And remember, when lives depend on us, success is our only option. Thanks for listening to the Firefighter Success Podcast. Go to firefightersuccessbook.com to learn more about the book, Firefighter Success, 20 C's to Firefighter Excellence. At the website, you can also download the free special report, 101 Rules for Firefighter Success. 